Central Friday. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah with you in the Kintech studio. We're going to have Yannick Hansen coming up in a few moments here on Canucks Central. And we uh, always like to hear from you on the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text message inbox uh, for today's show. Sat, we are getting our first looks, the first images, the first video of former Canucks captain Bo Horvat in an Islanders uniform as the NHL skills competition is about to get underway. I got to say, uh, most players look good in an Islanders uniform. <laughs> but that jersey was like so hated when it was first around. So the Islanders are wearing that reverse retro thing with the uh, the Long Island guy. What do they call him? The, the fisherman. <laughs> the fisherman. Fisherman. Yeah, the fisherman guy. Uh, let's let's call him the that. Creepy fisherman? The creepy yeah. fisherman. Yeah. Creepy fisherman. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so now he's he's that guy, and Bo Horvat's wearing the reverse retro Islanders jersey even though he's playing for the Pacific Division here as uh, as the Canucks uh, had him voted in as an all-star for this year. it's uh, What a slap in the face the Canucks fans have voted him in. <laughs> That's going to be the right hot there. take of the week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's right there behind Elias Pettersson as well, uh, as, uh, as the Islanders tweeted out a video of Bo Horvat nine minutes ago uh, getting ready to walk out onto the ice. What a weird scene, man. Um Still kind of getting used to it, this whole Bo Horvat is an Islander thing. It was something that we knew was eventually going to happen, Sad, or it certainly felt that way. And, you know, there's still continued speculation about uh, what type of offer the Canucks handed to Bo Horvat before ultimately deciding to trade him. I mean, we told you months ago it was in the 49 to $52 million range. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, it, it wasn't enough to get the deal done. And Bo is now elsewhere. It's, uh, that's how this situation has played out. And now it's about figuring out what the Canucks are going to look like for the rest of this year without Bo Horvat. It's, it's, I mean, there's no doubt there is a big hole to fill. No doubt. And they're not going to fill it you know, the rest of the season and long-term it's going to have to take Ratti, Ratu becoming the player they envision, JT Miller playing well and all the other pieces coming together. And, you know, then you'll kind of replace what he brought, but also perhaps giving you a different type of player this team also needs in terms of their centermen and roles that they need to specify. And, you know, as far as how much is he's going to get paid, Vancouver never got to the 56 million range. You mentioned maybe mm-hmm. 52 and a half, kind of the highest, which was the Braden Shen contract. And we talked about would they move off that? And, and I guess they never made that offer. And maybe uh, Bo would would have not accepted it anyways, because it really looks now that he's going to get from the Islanders anywhere between 59 million to 66 million. That's kind of it. Looks like what he's going to get, which is a lot more than I wow. thought he would get. So uh, good for Bo whenever he signs that contract, or whenever it becomes official, I should say, with how Lou Lamorello handles things with the Islanders. You know, it, it looks like he's going to eclipse JT Miller's contract, and perhaps, perhaps even handily. You know, and I, I don't, I don't think anybody is is saying. You know, a lot of times when this happens, uh, you'll you'll hear, uh, oh, uh, well. <laughs> You know, the Canucks didn't offer a high enough contract um, or that sort of thing. They they sort of gave the uh, offer that was kind of a non-offer sort of deal uh, is, is sometimes the rhetoric you hear. But, you know, the Canucks gave a very fair offer to Bo Horvat. And he's still going to be able to, as it looks like, um, you know, surpass that 
but that's based on the season he has had and the 50 goal pace he is still on as he wears his Islanders uni here at the NHL skills competition in Florida. I'm uh, curious to see the pitch and puck uh, as they will play golf and hockey at the same time. And uh, also the dank, the dunk tank. Uh, We'll see how that plays out as they continue to introduce some new games to the skills competition. Let's bring in our next guest. He is our Friday analyst. It's Yannick Hansen. This analyst is brought to you by the Magnuson Auto Group, Metro Ford, Port Coquitlam, and Magnuson Ford in Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser to serve you. Yannick, what was uh, fastest skater? That was that was that was your skills comp to to be able to dominate in. I don't know if I dominated in it, but uh, that was the one I always <laughs> ended up being being plugged in. Uh, it was the one where you actually had to prepare a little bit, so it wasn't the best one to be in either. Um, but no, this is this is normally the best time of the year. So you get a couple of days off uh, unless you're actually elected to the to the All Stars. Um, so yeah, no, it's it's fun. I don't know the new things they're trying to introduce. Uh, I, I think it's maybe a little bit over the top, and let them just play a game and promote the game a little bit, and then uh, send them on their way. Well, you know, th- those things they're doing, they're not for us, right? Like, they're not for former players or people like us evaluating the game. It's, it's about the kids. That's what they always tell us about the All-Star game. But, you know, you know in, in terms of fastest skater, hardest shot, in terms of players you played with on the Canucks, the hardest shot, probably Sammy Sallow, right? I would say so. Edler was right. up there, too. Um, but, but, no, yeah, Sammy took the crown uh, for, for a number of years, that's for sure. And then in terms of fastest skater, that one, I mean, you, Kessler, Mason Raymond, who who do you think ultimately was the fastest? Mason took it a couple years in a row. I always ended up being being runner-up uh, to, to him, so I'd say he probably has the, the edge um, as to the fastest. I don't think they ever put Kessler in the fastest skater. Uh, they didn't want him getting hurt out there on a, on a day off, <laughs> if you will. So he, he was... Uh, he would normally sit uh, sit on the bench, uh, shoot some jerseys out in the, in the stands, and and show his face um, again to go a little easier on him. Was there anybody that like could surprisingly uh, dial it up for a for a heavy shot? Like, could Henrik dial it up to a hundred if he wanted to, or no? No chance. No chance. <laughs> uh, he might have to shoot twice in order to get it there. Um, no, it, it, it tends to be. Uh, Tend to be the bigger boys. Uh, Andrew Alberts could uh, could lean into it as well. Uh, obviously, Eddie, um, the ones with a little bit more girth to them when they lean into those uh, long sticks, uh, they came off hot. Yannick Hansen, our guest here on uh, on Canuck Central. So uh, it's the big news of the week. Um, Bo Horvat traded um you know it's uh, sort of the start of a new era we're just getting our first look at Bo uh, during the skills competition in an Islanders uniform still is uh, very strange to see Horvat in a different jersey of any kind but it it sort of signals like um that work to be done uh, maybe a, even a step back at least in the meantime for this Canucks team before they can move forward yeah, again, shocked that it was actually the Islanders that ended up uh, getting him. Um, again, that's just good for Vancouver, I'm assuming, depending on how the rest of this year plays out and, and stuff like that. But it always is, and, and maybe more so because it's your captain. Um, the captain holds a different value, if you will, in the organization, uh, in the dressing room. So so for you to trade him, set player, you're... you're uh, you're definitely uh, you're screaming change now, um, 
And again, we know this change was, was more so forced. They would have loved to have kept Bo at whatever number that they felt comfortable with. Um, that obviously wasn't something they could agree upon. Um, but again, yeah, it, it does signify uh, changes. And again, you're, you're never going to get a player back of the same caliber instantly. Um, you never know down the line. Just take when Bo got traded. We traded Corey Snyder for Bo. Uh, and what that turned out to be, um, but uh, the moment you make the trade, you, you will you will take a step backwards. There's no question about that. Well, you know the the thing to your point, it, it's definitely a step back, especially in the short term. Long term, it all depends on how the pieces kind of come together. But they did elect for something far more futures oriented because when the Kessler trade happened, you were on the team. The team got a first-round pick, but you got two players who are veterans ready to play right away, Nick Bonino and Lucas Pisa. So it's very much like we're making this trade, but we want to win right now. These are the key pieces we want to play on our team. These guys, Ratu and the first, that's going to take a little bit of time. So the next move to me is going to be really fascinating because if they make another future move, whether that's Besser or Garland or whomever that they move off to just clear salary and maybe get some futures back, then it does really show us, doesn't it, Yannick, that perhaps this is going to be a more future-oriented, longer-term approach. Yeah, and that, that's where we're still kind of sitting and waiting because we just talked about Kuzmenko's deal um, a couple of weeks ago as well. And that was a very lateral move because, well, you bring him back a, a good, fine, decent player. He's going to help you win some games. But, uh, again, what could a guy like that brought back as well? So it, 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 it does come down to the next couple of moves here. Um, what will happen, this major surgery um, and stuff like that, that, that Jim alluded to, um, to see how far they're, they're willing to go here. Uh, and as far as player in and out of the lineup, they didn't really do that much with moving Bowl. Yeah, you, you move Bowl, but you're bringing back, back uh, Bo Villier, who will, is, is a very good NHL player as well, uh, and hopefully can find some, some scoring. So in that sense, it's a one-for-one. One. Yeah, you're moving your captain, but... Now you're, you're really only moving JT Miller into where he was probably signed to be, which is your number two center or whatever it might be. Um, so, so again, there are some things that are, that are still out there and what we're waiting to see can happen. Um, but, but again, it was, a, it was a good first step in my opinion, and I like the, the return as well. Like you mentioned too, it will take some time to, to figure out what will happen with Radu with the first round pick. But but again, it, it was the direction I felt that was needed a little bit more. Uh, now we just need to see if uh, if they're trying to patch holes going forward or, or they're keeping w- with the theme that was bold with, uh, okay, we're going to take a step backwards here. When Patrick Alvin uh, talked about acquiring Beauvillier as part of the deal, he mentioned his puck hunting ability, that he's a smart two-way player, can score a little bit, and is fast. Now, yes, he's he's another winger, uh, and we know this team has a lot of those, but it, it almost hinted at the type of player or the traits of a player that Patrick wants more of on the roster, and I wonder if you think that's the type of player that this team needs more of. Well, you can definitely use them. You don't want to, you, you need a little bit of everything. So you want the finesse, you want the, the, um, the hunting, the, the pucks, you want the, you want the bra, you need a little bit of everything. So yeah, there hasn't been too much of that. Um, the, the players we do have that kind of strike me on that chord is a Connor Garland, uh, Hooglander did it as well to, to some extent. Um, but, but those two haven't really panned out this year. And now all of a sudden you're, you're missing that whole aspect in your lineup. 
Um, so yeah, you, you do need, need that and you're hopeful that Beauvillier can come in and, and found the, the, where he was going maybe two or three years ago. Um, because obviously this year uh, hasn't been uh, up to his standard, if you will, for going back. So uh, again, you're you're taking a little bit of a gamble here, but the gamble is short term. He signed for, I believe, two years, uh, two more years, season eight. So again, it's another player that, if he pans out, uh, uh, picks up the game, you can move again if you're looking to collect stuff. Um, so, so I don't mind bringing back a, a type of player of this caliber because we still need a team to play, even though you're saying we want to take a step back. But you need these, I wouldn't necessarily call them projects, um, but a player who can hopefully surprise you uh, in a positive way. Well, yeah, yeah, and he actually has one more year on his deal. So even next season, maybe at the deadline, you move him, or perhaps we'll see what happens long term. But but in terms of that picture now, and it's very clear, we'll see what happens next in terms of the deals, like we talked about, Yannick. But there is an evaluation process that's also now ongoing under Rick Tockett as the head coach. So when we look at some of these players, and I know we talked about what we've seen from them, but. I'm curious about some players on the back end. Ethan Bear, Travis Dermott, they're young enough, but their contracts are up, their RFAs. Are these guys that are worth giving another contract to, or perhaps do you look to move those guys? And is it really going to depend on how they fit in with Rick Tockett? You're going to have a hard time moving those. Like They were they were almost given to you last time. So unless they all, their, their play all of a sudden start taking up, you're not going to move them for, for anything significant. Um, there are phases, like you mentioned them, so you're you're probably gonna retain them. Uh, it, it's more so the UFAs, the big contracts you're looking at to see if you can you can get out from under them. Um, uh, and then again, I have no problem with these 23, 24, 25 year old defensemen who are projects. If not, then give them a chance to develop into a, a legitimate NHL defender. Because um, again, we don't lose anything by by losing some games on that account. Um, but but like the, the the big dollars you're committing to your your face signings, uh, your leader for two number three. We're gonna try and uh, Yannick. Uh, sorry, you're you're cutting out a little bit. We're gonna try okay. and uh, get you back on the line. Um, Yannick Hansen joining us here on on Canuck Central. His uh, phone was just. Um, Cutting out there a little bit, so we'll try to get him on a on a better spot. Um, you know, with with Bear and, and Dermot, it's it's really interesting where they go from here, Sat, because I think from now to the deadline, you know, those are two players you have to have a big evaluation period for. I believe you do, and you know, to Yannick's point, that we're not talking about needle moving players, but they are guys in line for another contract, like in. Now Dermot, he's played so little that I don't think it's going to be a lot of money, but Bear is an interesting one. And, you know, I would guess he's willing to play ball, but he's an RFA. He has Arbrights. You know, he's put up some numbers. He's played some minutes. Guys like that, all of a sudden, the, the award may be bigger than you want to. So I do think there's something there that you do have to be mindful of. Let's bring uh, Yannick Hansen back into the conversation. It's um, it, it's a delicate dance with those two players because the Canucks already have a lot of inefficient money on the back end, Yannick. Yeah, again, Ethan Bear and the arbitration, I'm not worried about that. I think he's at two and a half right now, mm-hmm. and I couldn't I couldn't imagine him getting more than that unless he goes out and pots another four, five, six goals here towards the end of the year. 
Um, again, it takes more than just playing minutes to, to get those, uh, those numbers through arbitration. And again, as a player who has been given, uh, I wouldn't call it a lifeline, but, but again, he, he was given up on by Edmonton. He's given up on by Carolina. Now he comes to Vancouver and get him an opportunity and he can see he's going to get an opportunity going forward as well. Like you're, you've got to be careful with not taking that opportunity because you don't know if you get a fourth team here. Um, so, so again, you, you sign these guys, you bring them back on, on the number you're comfortable with, with the length you're comfortable with. Um, otherwise, it's fairly easy to move on from these guys. And then um, there's another one of these players around the corner that you can take a gamble on. With and Atu, go ahead. Sorry, go on. No, go ahead. I was going to say, Yannick, with Atu Ratu, um, it's, it's interesting that the Canucks made it like without hesitation said he's going to play at Abbotsford. And I think it does speak to maybe a different philosophy, maybe hopefully a different philosophy of wanting players to uh, earn their way to the NHL or really get the foundation of their game down before they get that extended look at the NHL. Yeah, I think Jim, uh, Jim needed a home run uh, back with uh, McCann and, and, um, and Rutanen, and they were kind of forced upon the, the coaching staff that these guys have to have to play, basically. Um, and again, they weren't ready, and it just kind of kept on going with, with guys coming and almost getting getting spots without really earning them because um, you needed these wins, you needed these young guys. You kept on, we need to get younger, but you can't just get younger for, for any price. Um, the players have to outperform, have to earn it. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you, it's so hard to take it back once you give them a guy a long, expended period of time. You lose, um, you lose the opportunity to move them up and down as well if they get older, if they play a certain amount of games and all these things. So uh, again, there's no question that, that it's good for almost every player to play in the minor because you learn so much there and you learn without the pressure uh, and getting reamed out in the media when you make a mistake and uh, you get to grow from it, you get to practice a lot more, hone your skills. Um, the, the game has gotten a lot younger, which means that when I played, it, it was more so, okay, when, when I came to AB, like I better know how to play and play his style because mm-hmm. he wasn't there to teach me. No, you, you fit in and, and then you do your job. Um, where we're now, like you're, you're almost having to still develop some of these guys at the same time as you're trying to, to win in the NHL, and that's a very fine line. Now, in terms of the next leadership group for this Canucks team, there's been a lot of discussions about Pedersen and Hughes. That's because Alvin, you know, singled out both those players numerous times when talking about the next leadership group for this team. How would you go about deciding and figuring out who the next captain of this group should be? I, I think you you got to wait to see what happens with PD. Does he commit long term? Um, and then he's obviously another one you can you can lean on because I don't think you can give it to him before you have him signed. If that's the guy you're looking at, um, I'd I'd be hesitant giving it to anybody right now. I'd give them the four A's around uh, and then go with that and kind of take a take a step back from the C. Um, I, I don't think it's healthy for. A young player, 23, 20, 22 years old, to, to bear that responsibility in a Canadian market as well. You got to stand up. You got to answer a lot of questions, not just about hockey, about life as well. And um, we're 
in in all fairness, you should only really be be concentrating on being the best player you can. Um, so so again, hold off on that a little bit. I know this this market is frenzy, and we need a captain, we need a C, and all these things, and great for media relations and all this stuff you can you can do. But uh, take a step back from that. Don't throw it on him right now, um, and spread that burden that you can right now because you do have some leaders in this room who's been through this uh, for a little bit now and, and then take a, a little more uh, conservative approach. When, when we talked to uh, Elias about it yesterday, he mentioned how, you know, as much as it would be an honor uh, to, to have that, uh, he knows he's not the most vocal guy. Does, does a captain have to be vocal, not just with the media, but also with his teammates in the room? You have to be with the media. With the media, you have there's no question there. You have to be available every single day. Um, you have to stand there after every loss. Um, on the wins, you can sneak out and let somebody else take the, the credit, but on you got to be there. Uh, there's no question about that. Um, so so that's uh, that's a hard, hard no on that. Um, uh, as far as all the other things that that goes into it. Um, he doesn't have to be vocal in the dressing room. Hopefully you have a, a leadership group around him that can do that as well. If that's not the type of player he is, he will lead on the ice to his play and then players will follow that way. If that's who we're talking about. Um, but, but with the media that there, there's no sugarcoated that you, you have to do it. Well, you, you know, you have to be honest. And, and I wonder just in terms of, you know, how this group just comes together and, and what it all looks like. And, you know, we see JT Miller and how he fits in, and we see Rick Tockett. And I know we've talked a lot about who you would have chosen and everything, and, and we have those discussions, but JT is now here. How do you see that going? Do you see it working out with him here long term, or do you see a scenario where this team might explore making a move and it's not going to be the type of move they had hoped for? Yeah, again, you'd hope that he can find, like they signed him, so they must want him. Um, that that's the only reason you do that. Otherwise, you would have had two or three opportunities to trade him. He's still on a great deal. He's still producing. He could still help a team win. Um, but but you signed him, um, so I'm assuming they're wanting him around. Um, again, it, it's up to Rick now to uh, to get him in line because a lot falls on him right now. He he is your your second center, if you will. There there's no fallback uh, where you can say, okay, JT is not playing well at center right now. Let's just uh, move him to both wing. That that's not an option anymore. You you have Curtis Lazar as your next center, and then and then I don't even know who the fourth one will be. So so you're 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 in a pinch there if he doesn't come through for you now. Um, so again, that's on on the coaching staff now. Yannick Hansen, our guest. Uh, how much is it um, you know, just organic? How the, the the leaders need to just sort of grow into the role. You know, Rick Tockett's talking about Patterson and, and Hughes taking steps as bigger leaders. Does it just sort of happen organically? Like, forget about the the letters on the jersey. I mean, how does it work inside the room? Uh, some are natural born leaders. Um, they they it's just way, the way they are. Um, I've had uh, oh I can't remember his name man. Um, there was in, in he he got called up. He played a couple of games for us. It wasn't a lot, but he was vocal in the dressing room and just oozed this persona that like follow me guys and we're gonna do this. And like, he only played a couple of games, um, but it was it was fascinating to see because like again he didn't get a lot of games. Came from the minors, filled in on the injuries, uh, uh, but again 
very vocal. So, so some are just born that way that uh, I'm going to pull everybody my way. And then on the other side, you, you have the quiet leaders in, in Hang and Danny who didn't say a lot, never screamed at anybody, but went out and were the best ones at everything we ever did. So, so it can be everything and everything in between, but that's where you need a, a group. So you have a little bit of everything. You have the guys on the ice that lead in the way they play. You have the guys in the gym that make sure that everybody does what's supposed to be done and pushes themselves. And then you have the guys who is not afraid to call all the guys out to, to make sure, hey, we've we got to be ready to go tonight, guys. Uh, otherwise, we're, we're in for it. So, so you need a group. It's not a matter of who's wearing the C or the A's. No, no, it's, it's more than that, and, and it takes more to, to police a room. Well, that's the. I think that's the thing that we we always kind of talk about here. Um, the policing the room and that and that having that type of leadership. Was it Jason Krog that you're talking about? No, no, but no? he did come from Hershey. He did play on the, on the Hershey Bears for a long time and won a bunch of cups with them in the AHL. I will get to get it back to you here. I'll text <laughs> you uh, when I hang up, and you'll you'll find out who it is. And Yannick, uh, before we let you go here too, just final thought in terms of what we're going to see here uh, the rest of the season down down the break. One of the things that we've also been kind of talking about, you talk about the, the roles and everything, penalty killers. Like, do we see enough players here? Because I know Talk had mentioned, yes, you know, you, you might need to rely on your top end guys to kill penalties every once in a while, but we need to develop that ourselves and have players that take on those roles. Do you see players here that, that could take that on in the mix here? Or do you really think long-term there's still a lot of guys they got to add to the group that can do those things? No, no, they don't have them. And that's why the penalty kill is where it is. Um, Hank and Danny would always come out at the tail end. They'd get the last 10, 15, 20 seconds um, sometimes on the penalty kill, but they were never first or second round out. It was third or fourth. And then you'd throw them out there. Um, and then they'd sometimes take advantage of that. But like outside of, I'd say, Curtis Lassar um, in that bottom six, um, I'd wish that uh, they, they would uh, teach Herglander that because he had that tenacity, uh, quick stick, quick feet, uh, can score as well. Um, so, so if you teach somebody like that, it, and then you can get it from within. Um, but, but he never got an opportunity while he was up here. Um, so, so again, you... They're easier to develop, um, the penalty killers, um, and you can find them in the minors. You can find them easier in at, at July 1st dates as well. Um, but right now, we, we don't have a lot of them. Yannick, uh, always appreciate the time. Thanks for this today. Thank you. Take care. Uh, there is Yannick Hansen, uh, always uh, great here on uh, Canuck Central. He joins us every Friday and also joins the People Show every Tuesday on Canucks Central. Coming up, we'll react to some of what Yannick had to say and expand a little bit more on Anthony Beauvillier and if the Canucks got more than just a salary make weight in the Bo Horvat deal in this player. That's next on Canucks Central.
Canuck Central in the Kintec studio, in the Kintec studio, the mobile Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Now, coming up, uh, we do have a mailbag here on a Friday, so get your questions in. Producer Dom will be asking and filtering out those questions for us, Sat put out the tweet as he did earlier today. We'll get to a bunch of them coming up in the next hour of Canuck Central. I got to say, I just I uh, I just pulled a Sat. What did you do? Did you eat something? I ate a sandwich in the break. Oh, you got a whole sandwich in? <laughs> half a Atta sandwich. Boy. Half a sandwich. Half a sandwich. Okay. Still, I'm proud. I'm proud of you. Yeah. Kind of yeah, had like to it. do it, you know. Uh, I know. I. Little, uh, so uh, as we've been talking about, I'm uh, I'm uh, really stuck in L.A. for for the week. It's uh, it's been it's been a terrible experience. I oh yeah, totally stuck. Getting all this sunshine mm-hmm. and the the California feels, the vibes with the palm trees high in the sky. It's beautiful. So it's 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 not that great. I, I'm I'm telling you. But um, hard anyways, life. I, <laughs> uh, so I uh, I did have a bit of a scare with like L.A. traffic for the first time because. Um, we went to the the Getty Center and and saw all these great like paintings like Rembrandts and stuff like that, and um, my wife wanted to uh, go to the Beverly Center to uh, I guess shop and spend all our money, and oh. uh, <laughs> at the same time I'm like ah I don't know like how this is all going to work with uh, L A traffic, and um, sure enough uh, it, it was dicey. It, 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 I mean like 15 minutes before showtime, 20 minutes before showtime. I got back to the hotel. It was um, it was a little bit hairy. I did have time to stop for a sandwich, though. Uh, I, I saw a place called Burrata House, and I was like, "This, I have to try Ooh. it. I just, I, I have to stop." So, uh, so what sandwich did you get? What did you get? Uh, it was called, it was called a Milano, and uh, it had like brosciola, which is um, uh, kind of like meatballs, but without the the sauce. That's probably the easiest way for me to um, uh, to to describe it. And meatball uh, without the course, sauce is that supposed to be appealing? Yes, it's fantastic. Actually, <laughs> if made properly, it is it is fantastic, um, and and you fry them instead of um, you know cooking them in the sauce. Mm. So it was great, but they just put a ton of burrata on top, which is, um, I mean, it's it's a delight. So I'll say that much. So nice. So you guys, you're gonna eat the other <laughs> half in the next break. Yes, and I uh, I survived L.A. traffic at the same time. It was crazy. There was uh, somebody in front of me. <laughs> It was a bumper sticker. It said, uh, if, "America, if you don't like it, leave it." <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> right. Great I think that's what it says. Sticker. Like we enter the country. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't love it, leave it. Um, and I, I don't know. Like there was a squirrel in his car at this. Like, squirrel in I, his car. I couldn't tell what it was, but there was like this rodent that was just like running around in the back of his car like jumping from headrest to headrest and like how is this guy concentrating on the road while this squirrel is jumping around in the back of his vehicle it was um it was very strange quite scary as well that's just Um, the man who loves the freedoms that uh, america affords him I've never seen anything quite like it. Like you, you see a lot of dogs in cars and and things like that. Uh, never seen a squirrel inside of a car. It was uh, it was very different. So uh, that was that was my afternoon. Oh, nice. You you made it. You made it uh, back back to the show in time. And then you have plans for tonight. And you have, what are you getting tacos this evening? So yeah, that's uh, yeah, I mean, real tough life. Real t- real real tough life yeah, in I'm Manhattan gonna, gonna make, Beach. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm going to make some fish after the show. That's what I'm going to do. Oh, yeah? Ooh. Yeah. Chef sat. <laughs> yeah. Coming through. Got some, yeah, I'm going to make, I got some halibut, so I'm going to make that. So that, that that's my plan for this evening, and not in, in Vancouver. Just going to make dinner uh, on a Friday night. A little, that's why people like you more than me. You know, <laughs> you're, you're a true Vancouver guy. <laughs> yeah, I stick it, I stick through the weather. We don't leave when it gets tough. <laughs> You're, you're basically Leo in Wolf of Wall Street. You know, I'm not leaving. Anyway, pretty much. I mean, hey, uh, you know, with, with the uh, with the possibility of a bull Horvat trade coming down, you know, one of us had to stay here. But hey, man, we're, we're yeah. both working. Some people took the whole week off, so I could just it tells you the dedication is here. Okay, uh, we were talking to Yannick. You know how he mentioned yeah. there was a player that he played with and oozed leadership. Oh my god, even you though, figured this out? I didn't figure it out. He texted me. Okay. So I wish I would have figured it out, but uh, I didn't figure it out. So Yannick texted me. It's Andrew Gordon, who played six games for the Canucks in 2012-2013, played for the Hershey Bears, played for the Chicago Wolves as well, which were the Canucks affiliate at the time. And, yeah, I mean, 55 games, uh, only seven points in the NHL, but a very successful career in the AHL, also went to Sweden. But, yeah, that's the leader who oozed leadership qualities that uh, Yannick was talking about. I do not remember Andrew Gordon at all as a uh, as an NHL hockey player. I mean, he only played 55 games, scattered through uh, with the Capitals, Ducks, and Canucks. He played 37 games with the with the Ducks actually in, in 2012. Wow. Yeah, uh, scored a couple of goals. There you go. Um, right. Six games. His his six games were the Canucks were the last of his NHL career. Yeah, hey, he played in the NHL and then he had some good years in Sweden. What an interesting tidbit. I'd, I'd love to, like, this guy just shows up. Seventh round pick, uh, had played, like, a handful of games in the NHL and uh, mostly a career AHLer at that point, just shows up in Vancouver with <laughs> with all these guys and, like, you know what? And it's right, it's 2012-13, so it's not like, um, <laughs> it's, it's still, uh, you know, kind of the heyday of the Vancouver Canucks uh, in, in that era, and at least the tail end of it. And he, this guy just shows up and he's what, what he's telling Hank and Danny what to do at practice. I'd love to know more about this. He showed, I mean, he, he, he taught Henrik and Daniel a thing or two about leadership. <laughs> uh, incredible. Uh, so now, now, you know, Andrew Gordon, uh, I know Boyd Gordon. I don't remember Andrew Gordon, but um, yeah. I mean, th- th- this Boyd Gordon played for the Capitals. This Gordon also played for the Capitals. So both Gordons played for the Capitals. Uh, I'm right. Boyd Gordon Gordons. played for, right? Then Boyd Gordon played for the Caps. He did play for the Caps. Yeah, uh, the two Gordai played for the played for the Caps. That's uh, that is definitely correct. I shouldn't call them that. That's that sounded weird. Um, <laughs> Gordai is that what you yeah. said? <laughs> well, it's like you know, you know, cactus, cacti. You know, like sometimes uh, stadium, just, stadia. Like sometimes the plural call, isn't just adding an s. Or just call them Gordy like normal people do. <laughs> <laughs> like hockey people do, you mean? Yeah. Or, or Gordy or Gords? You know, a couple of Gords, a couple of Gordies. <laughs> you know, I don't know. That's that seems more natural to me. I don't know than Gordi. <laughs> Here's a bunch of Gordi. <laughs> couple of Gords? No, okay. This is, isn't I, the Arizona I, desert. We're not trying to yeah. avoid cacti. <laughs> Gordy sounds like Gordi sounds fun, you know, like they would have been on the same Capitals teams. Like, hey, it's the two Gordi. They're at it again. Uh, No, no. I think you're on you're on an island here (laughs) on a Gordi thing. All right. 
Um, that, that would have been a thing, like the Sedines or the Sedina. No, that it just never would have worked. <laughs> no, just, no. I have to. The only plural there is just adding the S. All right, uh, enough grammar for today. Yeah, like um, this text, the uh, octopi. Yeah, exactly. Octopi. There you go. Yeah. See, a bunch of octopuses or octopi. <laughs> <laughs> it's not octopuses, Seth. That's incorrect. No, that's what I'm saying. It's octopi. Uh, so the two Gordi, uh, formerly of uh, the Washington Capitals together. And uh, Andrew Gordon with a cup of coffee uh, with the Vancouver Canucks. And uh, Yannick giving us a little tidbit on Andrew Gordon in his six games with Vancouver. So uh, I think it'll be uh, more than six games for Anthony Beauvillier in Vancouver. Um, he is a part of the deal for Bo Horvat. We've talked a lot about you know, Atu Ratu and even the first round pick, the first round pick, may very well end up being the most valued part of that trade. But the more that I've looked at Beauvillier sat and, mm -hmm. you know, talked to some people, thought about his career, where it's been, where he's gone, how these last two years have played out for him, obviously not all that well. But at the same time, I feel like some of the um, narrative that's come out of this deal is, well, Beauvillier, I mean, he could be flipped as soon as the deadline or he'll get traded next year. And, you know, that very well may happen. But it, to me, it also undersells that the Canucks may have gotten a decent player here and one that fits some of the traits they want to add to this team and then therefore could potentially be a bigger part of this trade than we might think right here today. It, it could, that's the best case scenario, right? And I mean, Anthony Bavillier is is young enough. You're talking about a 25 year old player that still has a lot of traits, and even in this bad season that he's having, and you're right, like for his standards, like he's still on pace to put up numbers that are in line with his career average. Like he's a guy that gets about 15 to 20 goals in a season, usually in that mark. And last year, um, this year he has 20 points in 49 games, nine goals. Extrapolate that over you know 82 games. We're talking about a player that's going to have about 14 goals, 30 some points, and that's usually where he's at. He hasn't hit 40 points in his career. He's been, you know, in that mid 30, high 30 point range for his career. So heck, he's still in line to give you that same production. Where it's fallen off is the overall value that he would bring as a two-way player, and the metrics don't show it. Now, one thing I would say though about the New York Islanders and their analytics the last couple of years, that entire team has fallen off a cliff with how they play, mm -hmm. right? And if you go through that roster, it's kind of like the Canucks. When you go through the Canucks players, and it's like everyone pretty much outside of like Pedersen and Kuzmenko are underwater analytically. And that's the environment that you play in. So a lot of it comes down to that as well. But to your point, he's a player who found himself no longer part of the future or part of the plan with the New York Islanders. And when that happens, a player... As we've seen here in Vancouver, you see how their game changes. Now, can they reinvigorate themselves and find something on a different team? Because when I look at him, and I went back and and you know, as I was watching uh, Aturati Ratu's twelve games and going through some of those games uh, a bit earlier this week, I watched a lot of Bavillier as well. And it's not like he can't skate anymore, right? It's not like he can't get in on the forecheck and and do certain things. So there's a lot there still for him to maybe get back to what he was, and in a, in an environment that's going to be conducive to having that type of two-way impact maybe we don't quite see it this year but when he comes to camp next year maybe just maybe he'll be a really good fit on this team with how they want to play I know I'm I'm Mr. Positivity uh so you know I think the uh <laughs> the, the feeling on on Bavillier for me and I, 
I, I wonder how much we see of him playing with, Eli- uh, not with Elias Pettersson, with JT Miller. Because Miller, he had a ton of success last year while playing center, let's remind everybody, when he had Tanner Pearson, who I thought last year Pearson you know, might have been his best year as a Canuck uh, in totality until he ended up you know, finishing injured. But um, Pearson, Miller, Besser was a really solid line. And it was towards the end of the year when Besser really started to find his game, not through the middle part where he was struggling, but when he started to find himself and he had a good run of games in the lineup, you know, that line really played well. And they not only on the scoreboard, you know, even by the underlying metrics had a lot of success. And I think you can't separate that um, when Besser and Pearson are playing well, they're really smart hockey players. Mm-hmm good at both ends of the rink, um, good on the walls. They don't make a ton of mistakes. You know, those, those types of things that maybe helped Miller have his best success while playing through the middle of the ice. And I wonder if maybe part of the thought process here is, you know, Bavillier can be a good two-way player that, um, you know, helps out a line with JT Miller on it as well. When you look at Mikheyev playing with Pedersen, most likely, and Kuzmenko, we saw how well those those three guys played together. And you put Bavillier next to JT, then you, in terms of how you want your team to play and having that you know, two-way type of presence, it fits in. And if JT can play down the middle effectively, that looks like a duo that could potentially work. They're a lot different, and it's not like Bavillier is your ideal long-term top six player, but he's mm-hmm. one of those players, too, that... Especially with what Taka spoke about, something that we've talked about on the show a bit, duos. You really look to create some duos, and then the third guy on the line is somebody you move around, right? And what this team needs to really establish are those duos. And sometimes a duo doesn't have to necessarily be a really good player with another really good player. It can be like a star-level player and a guy that's maybe a third-liner ideally, but can fit a role really well and have a lot of chemistry playing alongside a player like JT. And that's something that Bovillier could do. And we've seen that, actually, when you look at how the Pittsburgh Penguins put their teams together, especially even under Rutherford when Alvin was there. You oftentimes saw players, and Rust became a good player, but came through being that type of guy, and then now he's a 30-goal scorer in him and a big-time contributor consistently for that team. But look at guys like Carl Haglin they brought in, and even go back before that, prior to Rutherford's time. You saw guys like Pascal Dupuis come in and really work well playing, whether it was with Malkin or with Crosby, and, and being that type of two-way presence on a line that has some skilled players. So could Bavillier be that type of player? I mean, I don't know if he'll be here in three years, right? Long-term, is he going to be a fit here? But... If we're looking at the idealistic point of view, and we've talked a lot about the downfalls and, and to your point, maybe being a bit optimistic, but just looking at it in terms of, okay, like how does this come together? Let's say next season, it's a bit of a transition year, but you see some of these young pieces come together. And then the year after you feel like you can make some additions and you can kind of get on your way to turn things up and perhaps get back to being a, or become a contender finally. Could Bavillier fit in on this team for, for a couple of years afterwards? Like he's only going to be 27 once next season's contract ends, and I don't see him getting a long-term deal, but is mm-hmm. he a guy that could play himself, if he turns out to be a duel with somebody, to be part of this team for a couple of years beyond this contract? I mean, it is within the realm of possibility it happens, but a lot of things have to go right for him and the team for that to be a possibility. Well, I think for all of those players, and if we uh, even 
zoom out a little bit and think about you know what the rest of the season means for some of these guys. We know results aren't necessarily the big part of the conversation, but you know for Beauvillier, for Besser, for Garland, you're sort of you know trying to find your game so you don't end up on the scrap heap because this team's going to have to get rid of some of them somehow, some way. Yeah. And, you know, it's almost as if you're auditioning for other teams. So they like you all, you have a lot to prove because it's clear, you know, whether you want to stay in Vancouver or you want to find a spot elsewhere, uh, you want a team to potentially want you like all three of them have to find their games and start playing better. Absolutely, they do. I mean, a lot of those guys have to. And in terms of like a long term fit, it, it's hard to see it working out long term with them. I think all, all we're looking at, especially with a guy like Garland at this stage, is does he play well enough for you to be able to trade him? Like, is that not what we're looking at here? Like, do you envision Connor Garland being here on this team long term? No. So I think it's one of those situations. Like, can he play well enough that you find a trade to move him out? Besser, I wonder, like, as much as they're trying to move him, they're trying to move him, and, and you've made this point as well, Dan. Like, there is a world where you kind of feel like you come back and you try it again. Mm-hmm. And do they feel like maybe there's a chance he either plays himself up? Like, if, if we're looking at Garland as being a guy that just try to boost to get out, I'd say, what would you say the possibilities are that Besser actually stays long term? Like, at what, 10%, 15%? Whereas it's like 0 or 2% with Garland? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely higher than Garland. Um, and I, I think with Besser, like if you have time, you should use it. And they do still have some time um, to potentially, you know, see if he can rebuild some of his value. If teams still are thinking he can be a five-ish million dollar player around the league, well, maybe you can rebuild or he can rebuild his value to a point where maybe you don't have to retain so much in a deal to keep him and there's the outside chance that he just finds his rhythm and is able to stick with it for a while yet. You talked about Travis Dermott and Ethan Bear with Yannick Hansen. And those two players, I think like both of them are going to end up getting a long look here from Rick Tockett, obviously, maybe as a pair, uh, as we've talked about in the past. But I feel like they're also two players with a lot to prove through the end of the season, Sad. I think so as well. And, you know, I know Yannick, and, and he's not wrong. We're talking about guys that, that it's not a lot of money. You're not talking about a big asset. But if, for instance, Talkit, you know, has these guys and he looks at it and he's like, you know what, I'm not quite sure, you know, whether it's Bayer or Dermot, these guys really fit what we're trying to do. Do you look to move them out to get what you moved, what you got essentially for them? Like, could you get a third or a fourth for Ethan Bear if you retain salary even and move him out? Could that could you get something similar to Dermot? I think it depends on how they play. The only way I see those things happening is if talking talk to management over the next month kind of says, I don't think these guys are it. And, it, I mean, management may look at it and say, no, give them more time. We believe in these players, and they may not get moved out. But the only way I see those guys not being here beyond the season is if somehow with the coach and with how they want to play, they don't see that being a fit. They don't really have much coming, right? I I guess, you know, we always can have the conversation about Jack Rathbone, Mm -hmm. but I just, I I wonder where you're going to find players uh, to play games for you next year that at least have a little bit of upside. If, If you move on from them, you're sort of looking in the same sort of range of player and cost of player 
I would say, or wonder when it gets to free agency. But uh, we'll have to expand on this a little bit more. Potentially in the mailbag, we have lots of questions to get to from you, the listener. It is Canuck Central. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. The mailbag is next on Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People Show with Bick Nizar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.